We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, and I hope you do, would you open them to Ruth chapter 2? Now, you remember last week in Ruth chapter 1, we uh, witnessed an example of God's amazing, loyal, has said love in Ruth's determined care for her mother-in-law. Where you go, I'll go. Where you live, I'll live. Your God is my God. Where you die, I will die. Your bones will be there, my bones will be there. This amazing love that is demonstrated in her life. And God actually uses her story to teach us about how to love other people. We talked a little bit about the peacemaker training last weekend. And I think in that we we learn better how to approach brokenness in our lives because all of us struggle in relationship. I think that's one of the truest statements we can make about life is that relational difficulties exist for all of us in every setting of life. Um, And and today in Ruth chapter 2, I think what God is wanting us to learn is how to grow in our existing relationships with family members and with friends. So take just a minute. Look at the person next to you. They may be clear across the aisle. Look both directions. Okay? Notice who's there. Think about your family. Think about your friendships, your home group, the Sunday school class you might be in, the class your kids are in, the relationships you have in life. Think about those for just a moment and then tell yourself, it is in those relationships that I will experience the loyal love of God. God works through us, just like he does with Ruth and Boaz and Naomi. And this morning, he's giving us seven hints, seven cents of what it means to be a loyal lover of those around us in our family and relationships as we look at this storyline. So be thinking about others today, and maybe even another person today who may be in need, a family member, a friend. And begin to think about how these can be applied to you. So let's begin, first of all, with a story from Becky Greer's life. Becky Greer is a uh, young mom. She lives in Mount Washington, Kentucky. And um, several years ago, she lost all four of her children in one year through a series of tragic uh, circumstances. And uh, she tells that story in a, a card that she gives people. On the front of the card is a stargazer lily, much like the one you see up here. Inside the card is her story as she talks to people about her life and the brokenness and where she's found loyal love. And in, on the inside it says, My nine-year-old daughter, Cammy proudly presented me with a beautiful potted stargazer lily for Mother's Day. And as she handed it to me, she announced, Mom, when the blooms die, plant it outside. That's what the lady at the store told me to do. It'll come back next year. And Becky writes in her uh, story, I didn't believe that. I didn't believe the lily would come back. Um, but Cammy kept reminding her uh, again and again, plant it outside. It'll come back, Mom. So finally, after persistent, insistent uh, nagging from Cammie, they went outside in the backyard, put it in the soil, and sure enough, winter came, and it died. And that same winter, Cammie died, and her three brothers. And it broke her heart. She says, my world became totally dark. However, the following spring, the lily did sprout. And it grew, and it produced 27 fragrant pink blossoms. 
She said, I suddenly became filled with inexpressible joy, joy in my darkness. How could that be? Without my children, I believed I could never feel joy or happiness again. You ever felt that way? Something has happened. You've lost your husband or wife. Something has gone on with the grandkids. Maybe it's been something you've lost that's more tangible in the sense of a material thing. And this sense of, where will I ever find joy again? Much like Naomi felt in our passage today. But Cammie's beautiful and innocent gift, she writes, offered me new faith. Jesus said we're to have the faith of a child, that God can resurrect even those things which we believe can't be resurrected. Abraham writes his story in Romans 4, and he says he believed in the God who can bring back from the dead and give life to the dead and call into existence that which did not exist. What a beautiful statement of faith and God's power. Becky concludes her card with these words, just because we don't experience God's presence doesn't mean he isn't there. Often it just takes another person to show that to us. Think about that. Those times when we feel that God doesn't know what's happening in our lives. He doesn't care. He's not aware. He expresses his love oftentimes through another person. And that's really what Ruth chapter 2 is about this morning. So in Ruth, we get several biblical truths. We're going to show them to you here on the screen. And these are important for us to understand for three reasons. Number one, it's through her example that we learn how to come back from the edge. And by that, I mean the very edge of life where we feel like nothing is going to happen good again. Back from despair, from our darkness, fears, doubt, defeat, and hopelessness. Secondly, in the life of Naomi and Ruth, we discover how much God watches over us and provides for us even when we feel like he is far away. And then third, from Naomi and, Naomi and Ruth's lives, we find out how good it is to be around godly people and to be one ourselves. That's Ruth too. Be around godly people and be one ourselves. So, let's dive in and take a look at the story. We're going to see seven qualities of loyal, godly love that we can share to make a difference in the lives of others. In fact, let's take a look at the story from this point. It was the beginning of the harvest season in the fields of Bethlehem. And there was a wealthy landowner named Boaz who commanded his young men. Boaz was a family member of Elimelech, Naomi's husband who had died in Moab. This was going to be a good harvest. It was a time for diligence, knowing full well that famine could one day come again upon the land of Judah. Naomi, who is the king of the world? Why is the king of the world? Yes, I think it's good. השדות שוב מלאים וזהובים, כמו בימים בהם נלקנו ללכת לשם אל ימלך ואני, עם הילדים. הריח הזה עדיין משקר. כן, לכי ולקטי.
Harvesting in the fields of Bethlehem began with the reapers. It demanded a strong back and a keen hand. From dawn to dusk, both men and women worked together under the watchful eye of their master. The custom was for the poor to follow the paid workers, gathering the few uncollected stalks of grain which remained scattered about the field. And Ruth gleaned in the field of Boaz. שהכל מוכן כהלכה. ואני יכולה ללקט כאוות נפשה. קח את שני אלה. תניח אותם בשדה על ידה כך שתמצא אותם. כשזה יקרה, הם יהיו שלה. And so Ruth gleaned, gathering more than enough. And she brought some 20 liters of grain to her mother-in-law, Naomi. So how can we be the kind of family member who brings hope and joy to others? Let's take a look a little bit at the first few verses of Ruth 2. And we're going to see three things here in, in uh, Ruth's and Naomi's life. Number one, it says... Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man, a mighty man of valor of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. 
And she said to her, go, my daughter. I think one of the first things we notice out of this passage for loyal love and friendship and encouragement to others is faithful companionship. You see that in verse 2. So Ruth is fulfilling her promise to her mother-in-law to remain with her, and so she is physically and emotionally there. She respects her mother-in-law's wishes. She asks for permission. She understands Naomi is probably lonely and discouraged and sad, and companionship is important, and so she is present. Faithful companionship respects other people's feelings. Think about a person in your family life and how they are feeling. I'm taking some time today to visit with my mom. I got a call a few weeks ago, Doug, it's time for mom to come and live with you. It was the week I was doing actually a parenting conference at uh, Redlands Christian Schools. It was like, today? (laughs) And we've had this ongoing discussion. We're going to meet with her today and talk further. And one of my goals, Lisa said to me, what are you going to say to her? And I said, well, I'm just going to listen. I just want to know what she's thinking and feeling. Had a good conversation with her this morning. These are basic parts of relationship, aren't they? So oftentimes it's easy to push through a relationship and just feel like we need to get done what we need to get done in that relationship. And Naomi says to us, no, don't take time. Be present. Listen. Because faithful companionship is a powerful antidote to despair and hopelessness. Philip Yancey is one of the authors that I've enjoyed over the years, and he has a book called Rumors of Another World. And in it, he writes about this faithful companionship that he uh, witnessed. Uh, He was talking about a visitor to the University of uh, Southern Mississippi who had arrived to talk to the president of the school. So both of them are on the campus. They're discussing things. As as they're walking across the campus, they witness a very unusual sight. They see two students walking ahead of them. One of them is six foot eight. He's on the basketball team. He's wearing the Golden Eagle warm-up sweats. And the girl next to him is three foot three. And they're holding hands as they walk across the campus. And the visitor's going, this is amazing. And he, uh, he turned to the president, and the president hadn't even been watching the couple. He was watching the visitor. And he said, you know who those are? And he goes, I have no idea, but I'd love to know. He said, well, that young man um, is one of our star basketball players, but when he was a young man, both of his parents died. And he went on to go through uh, middle school and high school. In high school, he was offered um, five or six full-ride scholarships to other universities, But he didn't take any of them. He came here on a partial scholarship because of that girl. And the visitor's thinking, oh, dating relationship, right? And he goes, no, no, no. That's his twin sister. That's amazing. And he said when his parents died, he said to himself, I will always take care of her. The only scholarship she got was to the University of Southern Mississippi. And so he turned down everything else, and he came to the university to be with her. And so you have this six foot eight and the three foot three people, uh, individuals just having this great loving relationship because he was present. I love how Philip uses this story to talk to us about the great love of God and faithful companionship. So let me ask you some questions. I'd like to do that throughout this morning. Who do you have in your family who offers you that kind of hope, that kind of presence? That kind of faithful love. Who in your family does that for you? Are you a faithful person to your family? 
Is this the kind of love that we exemplify to others? How do you demonstrate to your family that you will always be there for them? Not just in what we provide, but in who we are with them. This is so important as one of our very first principles of loyal love. We are present with those we care about. Number two, not only do we have faithful companionship, but we have supportive conduct. So we're present, but we're actually doing something. Look at verses two, 3 through 5. It says that Ruth went out and uh, gleaned in the field after the reapers. And, she, and this is an important phrase. She happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Just, just happened to come to that part of the field. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he, was, uh, he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. They answered, The Lord bless you. And he asked, Who is this young woman? Gleaning, as you noticed in the video, is not glamorous work. It was the work of the very poor, the down-on-their-luck people. And they could come in at the edge of the fields and pick up whatever was left over. And much of their well-being depended on the kindness of others, what the landowner would do for them. And she just happens to end up in Boaz's uh, field. And interestingly, God had actually commanded this act in his word of God to provide for the poor. Look at Leviticus 19.9. He says, when you reap the harvest of your land, don't reap to the very edges of your field. How many of you like to maximize things? That's my style. It's like we've got to get every drop out of this, every penny out of this. God says to me, Doug, you need to leave borders in your life for other people, for other people to come in and benefit from what you're doing. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. Now, in Deuteronomy, he gives us the reason for this. Deuteronomy 24, he repeats much of the same information, and he says, leave it for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. And then he says, remember, you were slaves in Egypt. That is why I command you to do this. So often, when we think about life, it's easy to forget the hard times we've had the times where God has swooped in and done something for us and cared for us unexpectedly. And God says, I want you to remember those moments in your life because this is what is going to help you leave things for others. So how has God helped you in the past? What has he done that inspires you to take care of others with what he has given you? Even if it doesn't seem like you have enough yourself. God says, if you leave the fringes for others, you leave the extra for others, I will come in and bless you. And so Ruth steps into this realm, and she's looking for a friendly face, and she's ready to work hard, and blind luck seems to bless her. Do you see that in the passage? It just so happened. It just so happened on the field owned by a family member. It just so happened Boaz showed up soon after to check on his workers. It just so happened that out of the crowd of gleaners, he noticed her. So we have to add a third quality to this. Faithful companionship, supportive conduct, and thirdly, good character. You see that in verses 6 and 7. And it says, the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, well, this is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she's continued from early morning until now for a short rest except for a short rest. So this foreman has six hours to look at this gal, and he's made conclusions. 
And he says, this is a gal who is polite. She asked if she could work here. She's not a slacker. She is a hard worker. Uh, she hasn't taken any breaks except for one short one to get some water. That's the kind of character that wins respect. And that's the kind of character that offers hope. And Boaz was impressed. Do you know any people like that in your life? People who have good character and it just shows the moment you meet them and you watch them for a little bit and you think, this is a person who really does life well. A number of years ago, I ran across a story about a guy named David Nealman. Actually, he's been in the news this past year. Uh, David is a guy who has just founded his fifth airlines. So uh, the fifth one is Brees Airways. It's uh, out of Salt Lake City, Utah. But the one that caught my attention a few years ago was JetBlue. Anybody ever flown JetBlue? Okay, so David is the CEO. He founded that company. But interestingly, when he first started it, he didn't act like a CEO. He began to go on the flights, and he was passing out snacks to everybody, and he would handle the baggage, and he'd go up front and talk to the pilots, and he was constantly involved in every area of the industry. And uh, Fast Company writes about him. His attitude and work ethic not only earned this new airline the number one ranking in the airline quality rating, but more than that, it earned him the respect of his employees and gave them the belief and hope that he would be there for them when they needed it. You see how that works out? This character is something that people count on. So can people count on your character? Can they count on mine? Are we the kind of people um, that... Um, Impress others when we work. My dad always told me, work harder than you have to and you'll always have a job. That's pretty much true. All right? He was right. So Ruth lived her life this way and she gives Naomi hope for the future as she's out in the field. But that wasn't all. She was also a friend and befriended by Boaz. Now keep in mind at this point, she doesn't know Boaz is a relative. She just thinks he's a wealthy landowner, and she just happened to get into his field. Boaz teaches us that we can be a friend by loving kindness. Look at verses 8 through 13. Notice his statement to her. Now listen, my daughter. He's very familiar with her in the sense of family. He just pulls her in right away. She's a foreigner. She's from Moab of all places. And she's working in his field as one of the, the uh, poor people. Listen, my daughter. Don't go glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women so you have companionship. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. I've charged the young men not to touch you. Now, this is the day of the judges, remember? When every man did what was right in his own eyes. So this is an important thing, giving her safety. I've taught them or told them not to touch you. If you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what they have drawn. She falls on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes? That you should take notice of me. I am a foreigner. And Boaz answers. Notice his answer. It's your character. He says, all that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land, you came to a people you didn't know. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. A full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And she said to him, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord. You've comforted me. You've spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Boaz's actions come across in three ways. And guys, if you're sitting here this morning thinking about your relationship with your wife, 
if you're in a dating relationship, if you have daughters, let me give you three actions that Boaz takes that warm the heart of any woman. And gals, you can tell me afterwards if I'm right or wrong, okay? Number one, he's polite. He calls her my daughter. He's not rude and crude like a lot of the men of that era were in the days of the judges, but he is polite toward her, generously, calmly, quiet, and polite. Second, he's kind. Don't go to other fields. Stick around here. Stick with my girls. Have companionship. And thirdly, he's concerned about her needs. And he says, I've told the men not to touch you. Have a drink of water from whatever they have drawn. Politeness, kindness, and attention to needs. Gals, is that pretty close to what would warm your heart? There's probably more, right? But that's a good first step. And Ruth is stunned. She's amazed. She's grateful. She bows to the ground. Why should I have you notice me? And the answer is it's the way you have lived. Folks, let me give you this. This is the key to the book of Ruth right here. And we'll put it up on the screen for you. And I think it's the key to life too. The greatest security and hope in life results from the care of the Lord. When we take refuge under God's care, when we look for hope and help from God, God takes notice of us and responds to us. So in the moments of life that are crises, difficult, tough, overwhelming, we need to look to God for his care, much as she does. She's looking for favor. Boaz says, may God give you his favor. She says, I've found favor in you. So it's this relationship in which God expresses his love, but it begins with this statement of hope. Some of you have been reading recently about uh, Bethany Hamilton. She's been back in the news regarding her stance on moral issues. But you remember 20 years ago, she lost her arm to a, um, a tiger shark. She was at uh, one time rated the best amateur surfer, teen surfer in Hawaii. She lost her arm in this attack. And soon after the attack, what was interesting was she decided, I'm going to raise money to help a man restore his sight. And she started this cause, this fund me for this man. Visiting New York City, she was with some people and uh, she gave away her ski coat to a girl who was cold and and homeless, and somebody said, why did you do that? Well, I have more than I need. Her pastor, Steve Thompson, said, and this is part of Ruth, she's looking forward to the future and asking herself, how can I show the world I still have a life, that I enjoy my life, and my life is filled with joy? She has this underlying trust in the care of God. That's what Ruth is teaching us. So we can be a friend by our loving kindness. We can be a friend by our unselfish giving. I love this part of the story. At mealtime, Boaz says to her, come here, have some bread, dip your morsel in the wine. Uh, Kind of a Panera lunch. (laughs) And she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain. She ate till she was satisfied and she had some left over. And he gives her his company, his abundance, and his reserves. She took home a doggy bag for Naomi. And this produced in her a sense of joy, a sense of hope, a sense of a future. Verses 15 through 18 talk to us about considerate protection. She's gathering up everything that he's left for her. And uh, it says that as she gathered it up and then threshed it, this is the end of the day, she's ready to go home, she threshes it and she has an ephah, an ephah, right? I know some of you are sitting here this morning stunned. She got an ephah? 
And others of you are going, she got an ephah. What is that? Well, if you go back to the book of uh, Genesis and you look at the exodus of people from Israel, the Israelites from Egypt, uh, and they're in the desert and God says, I'm going to give you manna. And here's the deal. You only collect enough for one day and only collect enough that an adult male can consume. So he's satisfied. That's all you collect. Do you know how much that was in Scripture, how much they were to collect? One-tenth of an ephah would satisfy a grown man. And God gives her an ephah. Now you may be thinking, I'm still not sure what that is. So I brought with me this morning uh, a couple of things. How many of you like root beer, A&W root beer? Okay, I see some hands. I think I, there's one right there. This is one-tenth of an ephah. That's enough. If you filled that with grain, it would be enough for one Israelite man to be satisfied for the day. But that's not what Ruth took home. There's three-tenths of an ephah. That still wasn't what Ruth took home. I hope you guys like soda. <laughs> That's pizza at their house afterwards, by the way. There you go, there you go. That still wasn't what Ruth took home. Can you grab that last one? <laughs> What Ruth took home, you guys are going, I wish we hadn't sat right here. I wish I hadn't raised my hand for the root beer. Okay, you're going to have a lot of friends afterwards. Ruth took home 22 liters. That's an ephah. 22 liters of grain. Can you imagine all of those 11 two-liter bottles filled with grain? And she wraps it up in her coat carrying at home this huge burden of grain. And she realizes, Boaz has protected me. Boaz has affirmed me. In fact, I think, I think Boaz likes me. She takes all of it home to her mother-in-law. And I love what happens when she walks in the door. Naomi looks at her grocery bag and said, one question, where did you glean? Where did you get all of this? And this is the last point, I think, and probably the most important one of the morning. We are a friend by pointing others to God. Look at verses 19 through the end of the chapter. Her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? Where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. And she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked, and she said, well, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Now, to her, that was just a guy, a wealthy guy who had cared for her in the course of a 12-hour day. But to Naomi, this was an act of God. Naomi says, that man is a close relative of ours one of our redeemers. And the light bulb went on for Naomi. God has provided. 
And Ruth the Moabite said, verse 21, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all of my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Do you remember the phrase back in verse 3? It just so happened. We don't see God's name a lot in the book of Ruth. But we know he's there because there is no such thing as fate or circumstance when it comes to God. Verse 3 had the phrase, as it turned out. It just so happened. But I want you to notice that in the entire Old Testament, that phrase only happens one other place. It just turned out. It's in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 2, and we'll put it up here on the screen for you. Notice what Solomon has to say. He says, the wise man has eyes in his head while the fool walks in darkness. So you have this comparison. But I came to realize, that's the Hebrew phrase, or as it turned out, that the same fate overtakes them both. So he looks at the wise and the foolish, and he says, it just so happened that fate takes them both. But he explains what he means in chapter 9, verse 1. He looks back on this statement of chapter 2, and he says this. So I reflected on all of this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do, and notice his next phrase, are in God's hands. But no man knows whether love or hate awaits him. So he was a realist. He said, yeah, it seems like there's circumstances and fortune and fate out there, but the reality is we are in God's hands. Naomi looked at all of this food coming in and said, that is an act of God. It wasn't just as it turned out. So in wrapping this up this morning, let me encourage you to think back for just a moment because so much of this is relational. In fact, all of it is relational as God works his love through us. Look back at your life and ask yourself, are there moments in my life that seemed like chance? just turned out that way. I was just lucky. Just happened to be to my benefit. Were there moments when circumstances bent in your favor? And what Ruth would say to us, and Solomon, and the word of God is, it was God working behind the scenes to produce good in your life as you have cast your care upon him. And so as Ruth stepped out, God stepped up, and he said, I will respond to this young woman who needs help. And I'll do it through a relationship of Boaz, who just happens to be a kinsman redeemer, which we'll look at next week with Jared as he shares Ruth chapter 3. So Ruth acted in faith, and God responded in love. I'd like to ask you to pray with me this morning. And think about these seven things we've just looked at briefly this morning. You remember, we're not looking for the profound in what is deep this morning. We're looking for the profound in the everyday relationships. So if you'd bow your heads with me, I just want to repeat each of these seven things and ask you, which one do you want to work on this week? Here they are. Be a faithful companion. Be present. Offer support. Act to help. Have good character. 
Be faithful in your efforts. Love with kindness. Meet obvious needs. Give unselfishly. Go above and beyond. Offer protection. Make others secure. Point them to God. His kindness never forsakes. Father, this passage this morning truly has been a rather simple one for us, but it has some profoundness to it in the sense of how you love us. Scripture tells us that greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And Father, you have given us your love in the person of Jesus Christ. And so as you talk to us about love, it's not this abstract idea, it's a concrete reality of this person who has entered our world and loves us deeply. And he says to us, as the Holy Spirit pours out his love into our hearts, we are to do the same with others. And so God, this morning, may Ruth too teach us to be these kinds of faithful family and friends who really do love each other well. Father, help us in those moments when we feel like we need the love. May others around us step in and say, I want to be God's loyal love to you. And Father, as we experience that, we pray that we would experience a change in hope and a change in our, um, our joy. Father, we ask that in Jesus' name this morning. Amen.